Father God, I thank you for your amazing grace, for your holiness, for your truth, for your word that just is so good. And we need your word. It heals us, it helps us, it guides us. Teach us your word, O oh Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Draw us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when the Lord Jesus was teaching the large crowds, he preached his sermon in Luke. He says, now, and we read it this way. It says, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observes it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. You know, now the Lord Jesus Christ, when you read these rather strong words, he is asking for total allegiance. When he taught this sermon to this large, large crowd, he says, to follow me is no small matter. To follow Christ means total devotion, total commitment. You have to count the cost of following Christ. He was not asking for platitudes. He was and is asking for their heart as he's asking you for your heart and your life. He is saying, follow me, but don't follow me on your own time. Don't put me in your calendar. Follow me with your entire life. I am your calendar. Keep your eyes on me, your heart ready for me, your life given unto me, and your identity rooted in me. Christ knows every day the world, this life, your job, your culture will ask and demand of you, and part of your soul will ask part of you, all of your life, every ounce of your energy, give it to me. And it will be subtle. Compromise will be on the table. The structure of this world is built in such a way that it will expect of you your life and your soul. It will demand of you to conform into the image of this world, its values and its lifestyle. It will call on you to obey its moral code and give allegiance to its direction, purpose, and will. That's what this world will ask of you. In Revelation 13, we are told of the mark of the beast, which is that well-known number, 666. If you ever, like, shop and it, the price is $6.66, then you buy a piece of gum or something. You're like, make sure it's six sixty-eight or something like that. Well, this mark is in contrast, by the way, to the seal of God given to those who follow Christ mentioned in Revelation 7. Similarly, Jesus said in Matthew 16, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The mark of the beast identifies those who follow the beast, who have given their lives to the beast in adoration and, and devotion. We are to stand in contrast and opposition to the beast and the so-called benefits that the 666 mark will, so will bring. 
We engage the world as followers of Christ, ready to serve, listen, and obey. And we stand at the ready because we have devoted our lives to Christ. We live in anticipation and long for the second coming of Christ. We expect His Word to bring life and salvation to this dark and dying world. We know God will do amazing, wonderful, and powerful acts of love through His church, His Word, and His Holy Spirit. When Christ talked about total devotion, He's talking about love. He's not talking about lists of do's and don'ts. Well, you can't do this. No. He's talking about love. Do you love God? What's the, first, the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, everything. Every aspect, every cell. Says, I love God. When you love someone or something, you will devote your life to that person or thing. You will commit yourself to this person. Marriage is a commitment of total devotion where you are devoting yourself to your wife or husband. Love is, a devo- is devotion where rights are not sought out. If you're constantly seeking rights in a relationship, you will have a strained relationship, and it will probably fall apart. Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 15, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, fell on Christ. Christ did not think of his rights as he died for you, because he loves you. Christ loves you means he's devoted to you, he's committed to you, he's faithful to you. Christ loves you. You know, when a person falls into addiction, the addiction, whatever it may be, will demand total allegiance. The addiction will want you and you alone, and the addiction will actually destroy every other relationship. A person caught up in addiction will find themselves alone, lost, and aimless. Addiction is rooted in shame and deception. The devil wants you wallowing in shame and deception. He wants you lost in a lie of worthlessness. You're no good. He wants you devoted to the ugliness of the identity that you don't matter. But Christ is greater than addiction. Christ is greater and overcomes our shame. He removes the deception. He roots out the lie and says, you are loved by me. Sometimes people will say, well, I deserve all these things, these bad things to happen to me. This is where grace is so amazing. The enslavement people find themselves in this evil age can be overpowered by the grace and mercy of Christ. You are not worthless. Christ died for you. You're not to live in the lie of shame, but in the truth of how Christ sees you. You do not have to go down the road of trauma, hate, and destruction. Walk in the path of Christ, for He is your freedom. He is freedom to the uttermost. He loves you. He's faithful. He will guide you. He will fill you. He will call you. He will give you purpose and meaning. And when God calls, He asks that you give your heart, your life, and your very soul to Him. To love Him because He loves you and He wants you to love Him. He made you. He knows what is best for you. He knows what we are worth. He died for you. He forgives you. He has promised you a home in heaven. He is worth my life and my devotion. He is worthy of my time and my mind. He's worth my heart and my soul. In Luke 14 sermon that I read earlier, Jesus preached and said, count the cost. Counting the cost is a question Jesus is asking and continues to ask today. Is God worth your life and your time? Is He worthy to be the Lord of your life? To live successfully, we have to ready ourselves for the battle we will face. And when we count the cost, we say, I want to have my mind ready 
Because when my mind is ready, my life is ready. And so we have to prepare our mind. So I challenge us today, challenge you today, prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. Don't let the world and the structures of sinful humanity chip away at your soul. Surrender your heart to Him. He will free you. We are created to love. We will devote ourselves to something or someone. So devote your life to Christ and love Him. You know, as Peter writes this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, he knows they're bullied, attacked, and intimidated. They're called out for their lack of patriotism because they will not honor the emperor, meaning they won't worship him. They won't acknowledge the deities of the cities in which these gods are honored and remembered. Now imagine yourself... You know, we have a various events throughout the city. We, a few weeks ago, we just celebrated, what was that? Pine, uh, not Pine, um, Cowboy Days, thank you. Exhausted. That Utah came in my head with Pioneer Days, so <laughs> it's a whole different thing. <laughs> but could you imagine we go to this Cowboy Days and they honor a deity? You know, I'm like, wait a minute, what's up with that, you know? I can't even go to cowboy days, you know, I can't even go get a hamburger or the Lord because they're, they're honoring it to this God or that. And that's what it was like living in this time and when Peter's writing this letter. Everything you went to was in honor of some deity. And so how would it be like, well, I don't want to honor that deity, I want to honor Christ. And, and so they're, they're attacked because of that. And so the church only acknowledges and gives praise to the one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is what was costing the church in, her, in, in its life and, because they were so devoted to Christ. Whatever they had to endure to love Christ, they were willing. But Peter knew that they had to be strengthened in this time of difficulty because when you go through this time of difficulty, when you're being attacked, and it seems like all the time, there are times you just want to give up. And God is saying, endure. I will walk with you. We all need the strengthening of God's Word, the healing of Christ's touch, and the empowering courage of the Holy Spirit. We need, during the difficult times of this evil age, to be reminded what God has done, what He continues to do, and what He has planned. If we stray too far from the Word of God, we get lost in the voices of this evil age, and we begin to forget. We need His Word to strengthen us and remind us. As Peter's encouraging, challenging, and teaching the church, he's preparing them for the ongoing battle and challenging them. Do not give up. Endure. He wants the church to stand ready and on its toes. You ever do that? You're standing ready on your toes, ready to move, ready to react. He wants the church to be devoted to Christ and loving God. He wants the church to have a ready mind. So let us prepare our mind. Number one, prepare your mind for action. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Today we had our Sunday school breakfast. Good times. And next Sunday we will have our classes beginning at 9.30 a.m. And, of course, the importance of Sunday school is the focus on the Word of God and helping us engage God to help us have a ready mind. In Ephesians, Paul wrote, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let us understand what the will of the Lord is. Let us be ready. Let us have our minds ready to understand what the will of the Lord is. It's very important we understand God's heart 
And the only way we can understand God's heart is if we go to His Word. Now, in 1781, Robert Rakes, who was encouraged by William King to start a Sunday school class in Gloucester, England, it was initially promoted to help kids in the slums of his city to help them learn to read and write and keep them from a life of crime. The Bible was their textbook. Now, the conditions in England in the 18th and 19th century was grim. Education was only available to the wealthy. who usually had tutors or governesses teach the children. Grammar school was available for middle-class sons, not the daughters. Daughters would have to learn whatever they could from their parents. If you were a factory worker in England during this time, there was no education available for you. In fact, both the children of the factory workers and their parents worked in the factory six days a week for up to 13 hours a day. Do you imagine that? And so Robert Rakes opened up a school at home for kids of factory workers, and they met on Sunday, the only time that these kids were available. And by 1785, over 250,000 children were attending Sunday school throughout England. Bible training, learning, and application is important to living each day and understand how to properly respond to the ever-changing world and the ever-changing morals that are happening. If we are deeply worded in the Word of God, we will respond in a way that will honor God. To remove yourself from the Bible, you'll put yourself in a dangerous position. Paul wrote in Colossians 2, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We are easily tempted by the philosophies of today. I will say that. And so we must guard our minds and our hearts because that deception can sneak in. And we say, no, enough of that. I want to follow what God has and His Word. See to it that you're not led astray. The way to not be led astray is to stay in the Word. So number one, stay in the Word. When Peter told the church, prepare your mind, he began with the most important step, your mind. <laughs> You have, to, you have to have a mind set on God, focused on Him, ready for action. It's interesting if you have the King James in First uh, Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, gird the loins of your mind. Another, be ready for action. <laughs> You've got to be ready for anything that's coming your way. We today in the West are becoming more and more illiterate in the Bible. The less we read, study, and learn of Scripture, the more open we are to the attacks of the enemy and the more we are ready to adopt the rules and morals of our culture. Peter in his letter tells the church to prepare her mind. Prepare your mind for action for the next step, the next word, the next act, your next reaction wants to honor and glorify God. It's very important he said this because the battle we face is for our minds. In Ephesians, Paul wrote, In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Those arrows are headed for your mind. The enemy wants to shoot lies into your head. He wants it to take root into your mind, and you will live a lie believing that lie. But it's not true. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul wrote that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed with the spirit of your mind. Did that get changed a little for me? Whew. 
actually made a mistake in writing that. <laughs> Copy and paste is your best friend. In Romans, we read this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind. So how do you prepare your mind? Well, first, you understand and live in truth. You start with truth. In 1 Corinthians, we were told we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 says you have the mind of Christ. If you have given life, your life to Christ, you've repented of your sins, you've received and placed your trust in Him, you have the mind of Christ. You begin each day saying, hey, God has given me His mind. I will think on the things of Christ. How can... Um, you think on the things unless you focus on His Word. If I'm going to think of the things of Christ, if I have the mind of Christ, I'm going to go to His Word. I'm going to think on His Word. I'm going to focus on His Word. Sunday school gives you the opportunity to get yourself into the Word, hear the Word, understand how to live out the Word. Sunday school will give you the opportunity to study with others and hear what they have to say. Sunday school helps us to engage God's Word, to know His will and live out the truth and understand the mind of Christ. Secondly, rely on the Holy Spirit to teach you the Word and remind you of the Word. In John, we read this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, He's not going to remind you if you don't read it. Okay? Read it, then He'll remind you. As you engage His Word, He will remind you. In John 16, we're told the promise that He will guide us into all truth. You will not be led astray by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will live, lives in us, and we trust the Holy Spirit. He will teach us of Christ. He will teach us and instruct us His Word. He will make you hungry to read the Word, and He will give you the desires of God. That is the beautiful truth of the Holy Spirit as we rely on Him. Thirdly, clear your mind of what doesn't belong. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What doesn't belong? What am I dwelling on that is not true, that goes against the knowledge of God, that hinders my walk with God? What am I filling my mind with? That keeps me from knowing Him better. That makes me stumble. Get rid of it. Focus on God. Focus on His Word. Fall in love with God. Finally, reflect on all that is godly or what I have heard once. Philippians 4, 8, it. You ever heard that? And this is what Philippians 4, 8 says. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellent, and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You could just write, whatever is of Christ, dwell on these things. <laughs> Sunday school will help you with this because we begin the week with the Word, engaging the Word and hearing it. The Word of God is important to living out the life of Christ and preparing your mind is like working out and daily disciplines of what you're putting in your mind. You set aside time for disciplines of health, education, relationships, and character. Set aside time to study His Word and make all you do about God exalting Him. Everything you do, make it to honor Him. Sunday school is part of that weekly discipline of getting into the Word and living out your calling. So prepare your mind. Number two, prepare your mind by staying rooted. 
Again, verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In, in 2014, James White published a book called The Rise of the Nuns, not Catholic nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And what this means is that when people fill out surveys or the census, there's a question of religion. What is your religion? Then there is a list of choices, and one of the choices is none. Rise of the nuns. This trend, however, is not new. In 1986, there was a miss, missionary named Leslie Newbigin who wrote a book called Foolishness of the Greek, talking about the gospel and Western culture, and this is what he said about Western culture. This culture, that more than mo- almost any other, is proving resistant to the gospel in the areas dominated by modern Western culture, whether it's capitalist or socialist political expression, the church is shrinking and the gospel appears to fall on deaf ears. The resistance to the gospel in the West is growing and certainly not shrinking. In 2008, some of the headlines on religion of the major news outlets stated this way. should be on your screen there. Almost all denominations losing ground. Faith is shifting, drifting, or vanishing outright, USA Today. We're losing our religion, Associated Press. America becoming less Christian, CNN. U.S. religion ID inching to none, Seattle Times. The nuns are religiously unaffiliated. In 1990, the nun category was 8.1%. In 2008, it rose to 15%. According to CBN News, as of today, 2022, in 2021, the Pew Research Center found uh, self-identified Christians make up 63% of the U.S. population, a drop from 75% just 10 years ago. The majority of this decline is happening among Protestants. During the same period, researcher Gregory Smith says the number of religious nuns has almost quadrupled since Pew Research began its religious landscape in 2007. The article in CBN continues by saying religious nuns currently account for about 3 in 10 U.S. adults, or 29%. That number is up to 10% in the last 10 years. Smith says those secularizing shifts show no signs of changing or slowing. When I hear these numbers and see this trend, I'm reminded of what I read in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. This is the generation that the devil wants to create. This is his agenda. The trend to biblical literacy is growing. This trend is saying the Bible is ancient and no longer can help you. We have a more sophisticated way of finding wisdom and living life. Culture and human thinking want the Bible to be irrelevant. The human message today is that, to be, is that we, within our human reasoning, we can find the solutions that we hunger for apart from God and apart from the Bible. But this too will fail, as many attempts throughout history have proven. Our hope is in God. God has an agenda, though, to seek and save the lost. This gospel will be preached to the entire world, and then the end will come. And what will stop the message from being preached to the whole world? His word will not pass away. How do we carry out the agenda of God? We prepare our minds. 
We prepare our minds for action. We prepare our minds by fixing our hope on Christ. We prepare our minds by keeping our eyes on Christ. The things of this world, the resistance to the gospel that is increasing means to discourage and distract you. It means to keep your eyes off of Christ onto all the problems of the world. It means to have, to have you on the water like Peter, Peter as he's walking. He starts to look around. He sees the waves. And what happens to Peter? He starts to sink. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to distract you so you'll sink. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you won't sink. So prepare your mind. Number one, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. In the book of Proverbs we read, He who gives attention to the word will find good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. To prepare your mind, you have to keep your eyes on Christ and stay focused on his word. One thirteen says... Keep sober in spirit. This means to stay alert, stay on your toes, ready to move, act, love, and serve. Be aware. And there's a reason why. If you turn to 1 Peter 5, 8, it tells us why we are to be aware, to be sober. Using the same language in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We, as human beings, have, are no match to the enemy. But in Christ, we overcome. Because he's defeated in Christ. So we go to Christ. But if we get lazy and say, oh, I can handle this. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> then I'm going to fall. I need Jesus. I'm a weak man. But in God, I'm strong. In Christ, I overcome. So this is why we're to be a sober mind for the enemy is lurking, but he is defeated. You know, you think of a sober mind, you think of what is not a sober mind. A sober mind is a distracted mind. Uh, uh, I mean, excuse me, not a, so, a mind that's not sober is a distracted mind, a drunk mind, a mind that's not focused on anything maybe but myself. But a, a sober mind is one focused on God. We know His fiery darts are aimed at our minds, ready to take root. But we defeat the enemy with His Word, with God's Word, because we know one word will fail the enemy. How do you challenge the culture we're trending that's trending more towards secularism? We keep our eyes on Christ. We stay rooted in Christ. We focus our attention on Him. We do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do this daily by reading the Word, praying, calling others up, saying, let's pray together. How can I serve you? How can I be served? How can we find ways to build each other up? We gain strength through the study of His Word. We gain strength by praying with each other, by relying and encouraging each other. And you know, Sunday School provides this. Bring your kids to Sunday school because it's one way to bring God's word into their hearts. You as the parent are the most important in bringing the word into the home. By attending Sunday school, you're making the word important to them and into you. You're getting up and driving here. You're making it a priority. You're showing it's a priority. The world will creep into your mind and your child's mind. It will bring with it a message. It will speak a different gospel. It will tempt you with the jewelry of the world, if you will. So we bring to our families the Word of God to show how to stand against the evil of this evil age and to say no to the temptations that are around us. 
readying our minds for the battle that is going to happen each and every day. As a person, prepare, as a person, prepare your mind. You are aware of the devil's schemes, but you are also aware of the sovereignty of God and that Christ has all authority and that the Holy Spirit's living within you. God is never far from you. Look to the one who loves you. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Dive into his word and prepare your mind. Number three, prepare your mind for others need you. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That means we don't beat people up with the gospel. <laughs> in the book, uh, so when I say others need you, I mean others need the gospel. This world needs the gospel. Although many of most will reject and dismiss the need for the gospel, it is what we need. <laughs> it is the fundamental truth of what we need. We can run from the gospel, dismiss it, mock it, hate it, reject it, but we will never find the answer to the emptiness in our soul until we go to God who loves you so deeply. In this verse, we see what we're preparing for, and it tells us how we are to prepare our minds. So number one, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. To prepare your mind, you must sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. The word for sanctify is holy. What does it mean to sanctify Christ as Lord in your, holy, uh, Lord in your hearts? He alone is God, okay? There is no other God. That's how you sanctify Christ in your mind. We have to look at the previous verses also to help us. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. But who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. You will face onslaught of evil in this evil age. Attacks, if you will. Who will challenge you on the word good? Define Good. If you don't have the Word of God, you're going to define it in a number of ways. But to sanctify the mind, sanctify Christ in your heart, we have to recognize that He alone is our God. We listen to Him and Him alone. Now, we know that the gospel is being rejected, yet we preach it nonetheless. We recognize the threat growing that is attacking the gospel and those who uphold it. We will be zealous for what is good in the culture in which we live that promotes all that is bad. We will be zealous for teaching the gospel, even though it may be rejected by many. We live in a society and culture today that is considered that has considered harmful speech to say that there are only two genders, or marriage is between a man and a woman, or children should not be taught immoral behavior. That is, if you believe those things that I just said to you, you're called an extremist. The threat of violence grows. The threat of division grows. The threat of hate grows. But we ourselves are to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. And what that means is we say, regardless of the message, of the attacks, of what comes our way, Christ, you are my Lord, and I will love and not hate. I will let the love of Christ be my reaction. And when we say Christ alone, 
is the Lord of my life. We say, there's no other voice I will hear. There's no other philosophy that will occupy a place in my mind. He alone is my Lord. The culture, the voices of this evil age will not take word. It will not coerce me. They will have no effect because Christ is the Lord of my heart. He is the center of my life. How do we learn what is good? Well, if you ask the culture around you, you'll never get the right answer. But if you go to his word, you'll always get the right answer. And let me tell you, we will stand against the agenda of the devil of trying to create a a generation that does not know God. This is how you prepare your mind. You sanctify Christ in your heart as Lord. He alone lives in my life. He alone is my Lord. There is no other. He exclusively is my God. Sunday school helps us to keep in mind that He is our God. So prepare your mind. Number two, always be ready. Always be ready is always another way of saying prepare your mind. Why are you preparing your mind to to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks. What are they asking? For you to give an account for the hope that is within you. Now, if you live like the rest of the world, no one's going to ask you. But if you are devoted to Christ, they're going to say, hey, what is up with that? (laughs) What is going on in there? And then you get to tell them the beautiful truth, who Jesus is. There's only been one time in my life, though, where someone's actually came up to me and said, what must I do to be saved? You know, it's pretty cool. I like that. But most people will kind of like, what's going on in your life? They'll maybe ask questions, things like that. It usually happens as you develop relationships. The thing is, is you want to be ready to give that answer. And when you do, you're able to reveal the nature and goodness of God as Christ is shining his life through you. You'll say to the world what Paul said to the Corinthians, let me show you a more excellent way. You'll say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. The answer you'll give to those who ask will be the love of God rooted in his holiness. God's love will be evident in your life. His love is revolutionary, overwhelming, and overcoming. Our culture tries to mimic God's love. It tries to coerce you to follow their understanding of love. But it only produces division and anger and violence. It does not produce community, hope, and salvation. It does not take away our sin. It does not free you from the shackles of hopelessness of death. It does not give you a purpose. Only God and the love that flows through Him will give you what you need. We need His love. We need His grace. We need His presence. We need His forgiveness. We need His word. The love of God is the theme of the New Testament. It is the expression of His overwhelming beauty. We will be ready to make a defense because His love is evident. Now, the word used to make a defense in the Greek language is the word apologia. I tell you this because we, come, we, we talk about the word apologetics. Okay, and that doesn't mean we walk around saying sorry. It means we are ready to make a defense. Let me show you a more excellent way. That's our defense. Let me show you a better way, Christ, the Christ way. God gave us a book that reveals himself, his love, and his way. His book is authentic, truthful, and powerful. This year in Sunday school, we'll talk about apologetics. How do you prepare to give answers to people who ask? And let me tell you, there's a lot of things coming our way challenging Scripture. We will learn to show others the love of God as his love flows through you and me. 
When you prepare your mind, you're preparing to engage the lost and dying world to show them the more excellent way. Are you ready to say to the world, let me show you a more excellent way? Prepare your mind. Do not waver. Do not give up. Prepare your mind. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your amazing grace, your love, the hope that we have. Thank you for your word. Help our minds to be set apart for you. For you alone, our Lord. Let us sanctify our hearts and our minds unto you. For you are our God. There is no other. Let us be the message of Christ to a world that's dying in sin. In Jesus' name.